Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio. Last week, I talked about something called Wegovy or Ozempic or Semaglutide. There's actually a few names for this drug that is a uh, weight loss sensation in America. If you didn't hear that show, it was uh, just uh, a week ago, and we can link to it in the show description on this show. But I missed a few things, and so I'm going to go do, do a little bit of an update of some of the other uh, side effects that are happening with these drugs, and uh, hopefully a uh, pretty significant word of warning I uh, had my uh, tongue firmly in cheek last week talking about it, and uh, yet everything I said is uh, something that uh, I think needs to be really paid attention to by people prior to making the leap into this new uh, drug that they are recommending not only for adults, but also for children. And so I'll touch on that for the last uh, maybe five, ten minutes of the show today. But uh, the primary reason for this episode, the primary topic, is I want to talk about the Nobel Prize. Now, obviously, this is Vitality Radio. I usually talk about vitamins and minerals and herbs and hormones and toxins and all that sort of thing. But there is something that I think needs to be discussed on radio shows or podcasts like this one, and that relates to health and health freedom, albeit not maybe as directly as you uh, might think. And that has to do with this Nobel Prize, this uh, last little Nobel Prize session, the last month or so that uh, came out where they awarded prizes for peace, prizes for medicine, and so on. Um, There was one prize, well, two, I guess, because it was given to two people, that I thought seemed a little dubious. And so I decided to dig into the history of the Nobel Prize and find out if what they're awarding is always awarded for someone who actually does something profoundly useful in medicine or profoundly useful in the peace process or whatever. So we'll talk about that. I think it might be pretty interesting to you unless you've already dug into this yourself If you have, well, hopefully you don't mind me talking about it as well. But that's what we're going to do on today's episode. I think it'll be a little shorter than a normal episode, uh, but uh, I think the information is useful, and therefore I'm going to bring it to you. Before I start on that, I want to let you know about something we're doing that is pretty unique um, in the history of Vitality Nutrition. This is only available at our store, uh, or... You can call us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, to order this deal, but we can't put it on our website because unfortunately the way that CBD is regulated across the country 
There are enough restrictions that uh, it makes it very difficult to sell it online uh, on our current platform. We might figure out a way to do it on another platform in the near future. We're hoping to and looking into that right now. But either way, if you want to call the store, 801-292-6662, or come visit us in Bountiful, Utah, we would love to have you there to take advantage of this. So CV Sciences has long been my favorite CBD company. We have a few other brands that I love and that do great stuff, but CV Sciences, I still think, does it as well or better than anybody else out there. Um, about two years ago, I think that's about right. Maybe it's been three years ago now. They started to introduce some unique gummies, uh, into the marketplace. Now, CBD gummies are nothing new. They've been around forever, uh, for as long as CBD has been around, I think, but CV sciences, uh, only had a gummy that was just straight CBD. They started formulating with gummies um, about three years ago, putting some other things in them. And what we have found is that the CBD gummies from CV Sciences are really great formulas in terms of you know people actually responding to them really, really well and noticing a significant impact from not just the CBD in the gummy, but the other ingredients. Now... <clears throat> We have an overstock, and the reason we have an overstock is because there's two gummies that uh, they've come out with. One is called Calm, and one is called Sleep. You've heard me talk about them here on Vitality Radio before, probably. But the Sleep gummy is the better seller of the two, and we bought a huge lot of these um, that are that came together as a twin pack, a calm and a sleep. And we sell the sleep about twice as well as the calm. The calm sells great. The sleep sells really great. Um, but we ended up starting to pull these packs apart and selling the calm and the sleep separately because we kept needing more sleep. So we've got a stockpile of calm. We probably have maybe 75 or 80 bottles at least that we need to get rid of kind of quick. And so this is the deal. Oh, and by the way, they're 10 months before expiration. They're still plenty fresh, but uh, we have enough of them that we're thinking, ah, we better thin this out a little bit. So the Calm Gummy is pretty cool. It's CBD, uh, 20, or sorry, 10 milligrams per gummy, uh, 5-HTP, 50 milligrams per gummy, and 100 milligrams of L-theanine, one of my very most favorite things. I love L-theanine. And these gummies are um, great for adults or even kids, although I do recommend probably a half of one for a kid, um, you know, teenage uh, level uh, child. But uh, regardless, these gummies are fantastic. They are usually uh, 30 gummies for $34.99. And right now, what we're doing at Vitality until this overstock is over is we're doing it for $19.99 a bottle. So $15 off. It's the best price we've ever had on uh, any of the plus CBD gummies. And I think that if you like CBD or maybe you haven't tried CBD and you'd like to test it out and see what you think, but if you like CBD, 
you'll absolutely want to give these a shot if you're looking for something that's a de-stressor, something that's going to calm the mind as well as the central nervous system. These Calm Gummies are great. So call Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662 if you want to take advantage of this deal. And of course, Vitality Radio is always brought to you by my family business, Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful. You can see, jump online for everything just about other than CBD, and that's Vitality Nutrition. Okay, let's get into the topic at hand today, the dubious honor of winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, sorry, the Nobel Prize, because sometimes it's peace, sometimes it's medicine, sometimes it's science. Anyway, two guys, two two scientists, sorry, um, that won the prize. One is a woman and one is a man. Caitlin, or Catalan, I guess it is, Carico, and Drew Weissman who together, this is according to New York Times, identified a chemical tweak to messenger RNA, that mRNA stuff you've heard about, were awarded the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine on Monday. Their work enabled potent COVID vaccines to be made in less than a year, averting tens of millions of deaths and helping the world recover from the worst pandemic in a century. Wow. Pretty strong words from uh, those people at the New York Times who clearly don't have an editor that actually pays attention to truth, but, you know, whatever. So when I heard this news, after I got my eyes to roll back to their normal position, they were way back in the back of my head. They rolled back. I could see again. I could think more clearly, and I thought to myself, I got two questions about this. One, didn't Robert Malone actually invent mRNA technology that led to the development of these vaccines? You know, Dr. Malone, maybe you heard him on Joe Rogan. Uh, maybe you've looked at his Substack. If you haven't looked at his Substack, I'd recommend it. It's very, very good. Uh, you can just Google Robert Malone Substack if you want to check it out, or maybe we'll link it in the show description. But uh, yeah, he proudly claimed during COVID that he was the one that discovered this mRNA thing could be used as a vaccine. And uh, he has patents on it. Uh, he published many of the papers solo and some of the papers with partners, but it's clearly got his fingerprints all over it. So yeah, the answer is Robert Malone did discover this stuff or invent this stuff. Uh, but the Nobel folks, well, they're a tricky little bunch. They, they used very careful wording to allow them to completely bypass Robert Malone, who has taken a strong stand against these so-called life-saving vaccines. They gave the prize to two people who previously worked with Robert Malone and chose to ignore the obvious flaws in this technology and the massive injury and death toll for many of those who have received these jabs. Typically, the Nobel Prize is awarded to the founders of a technology or creators of a chemical compound going to the roots of invention. Instead, they chose to give this prize to two scientists who found a tweak to a technology that wasn't even necessary as there was another scientist who already had proved a safer and better tweak that was then ignored because that company, guess what? They ran out of money and money apparently... I mean, we know, you know as well as I do, that the money has nothing to do with any of this. Money has nothing to do with why a drug is approved or 
what company gets to make it and what company gets it approved by the FDA. The money is not part of this. I explained that in great detail last week when we talked about Ozempic and uh, all these fantastic new weight loss drugs. So we know it has nothing to do with money, except that there was a safer technology discovered by another scientist that was working on the vaccine in 2020 who, uh, well, they ran out of money. And uh, so they weren't able to get to the end, even though the government gave massive amounts of money to Pfizer and BioNTech and uh, uh, Moderna and J&J. You know, whatever. Who knows? It's probably just an oversight. We were in a rush. We had the Operation Warp Speed going on. We couldn't worry about who was going to make the best vaccine. We just needed a vaccine that we could convince people they should take. And they got that, didn't they? But Robert Malone wasn't even mentioned by the recipients or the award givers. Now, these two great and brilliant scientists stood on the shoulders of a giant to receive this award without acknowledging him at all. Question number two I had was, why would they give a prize to two scientists who tweaked a vaccine that didn't work, like wasn't effective and wasn't safe because it harmed and killed probably millions of people? And I'll share a little evidence of that here in a minute. Well, the answers to both of these questions are quite obvious. It's a word called propaganda. Propaganda works best if it's told over and over and over and over again in various different ways. And this is a fantastic, like amazing kind of sleight of hand trick that Nobel, the prize people, are playing into the same system that everybody else decided to join on with during COVID, you know, the modern uh, media and social media and things like that, the legacy media, corporate media, the government, the health departments, the states, the cities, the counties, the schools, the major corporations, the churches, man, they all jumped on board this train and now Nobel uh, two years later is jumping on the train again to say, let's reinforce in people's minds that the only reason we had these vaccines that, of course, according to New York Times, saved tens of millions of lives, which, of course, can't be proven anyway, but even if it could be proven, it wouldn't be proven with these jabs. We're going to just keep pushing that propaganda forward because we're going to keep selling the lie that these things are safe and effective because that's just how propaganda works. Remember that quote from these idiots at the New York Times? I don't know. You know what? I need to be cautious here calling people idiots. Let's see. Let me restate for just a minute. Uh, these writers and editors at New York Times are likely very, very talented. They are probably some of the best, the very best writers and editors in the world, I would anticipate. The New York Times is no small, uh, you know, organization. It's no, uh, it, it's known as what, maybe one of the top five or six papers in the entire world. 
So I'm sure they hire good people, and I'm guessing they pay them very well. Also, Carico or Carrot, sorry, I'm not ever going to say this right. Um, no, it is Carico. That's the last name. And Weissman are probably brilliant scientists, pr probably very, very, very intelligent people. So I shouldn't use words like idiot because they're not idiots. They know what they're doing, and they're very good at it. I mean, listen to how convincing this is. Their work enabled potent COVID vaccines to be made in less than a year, averting tens of millions of deaths and helping the world recover from the worst pandemic in a century. Well, where's the proof of that statement? They don't go through any numbers that would indicate that any of what they said is actually true. But my gosh, does it sound true? Very well-written propaganda. I'm impressed. But Dr. Robert Malone, who, again, was the actual inventor, inventor of this technology, who has not, to his credit, pulled away from the fact that he invented the stuff. This is way pre-COVID, by the way. He's working on it in the 80s and 90s. But he invented this stuff. He's not pulled away from the fact that he invented it. What he said is that it should not have been used in this way. And this is what he says on his substack in his own words. This assertion that millions of people were saved is largely based on the difference between initial analysis and modeling data, suggesting a 3.4% case fatality rate for SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. Infection, subsequently known to have been highly inflated. Okay, let's look at that number. 3.4%. That's what they were telling us was the rate. I don't know if you remember this, if you're old enough to remember this like I am. But just a few years ago, they were telling us about 3.5% of people were going to die from this stuff. Were dying from this stuff. Okay. So that number, according to Dr. Malone, highly inflated. And the current best estimates of case fatality rates are in the range of a fraction of 1%. So they, that number was inflated by three to four times, which is not a small thing when you're considering billions of people, right? This difference has been asserted to be the consequence of vaccine efficacy, meaning that, oh, well, it was killing 3.4%, but now it's only killing 1%. But this is not supported by actual clinical epidemiology data. Current analyses based on all-cause mortality data actually indicate either no effectiveness, I want you to listen closely to this if you haven't heard this before, either no effectiveness of the vaccines or negative effectiveness. Multiple studies demonstrate that the onset of vaccination campaigns, both general types and mRNA genetic types, are correlated with an increase in all-cause mortality, not a decrease. What? Multiple studies demonstrate that the onset of vaccination campaigns are correlated with an increase in all-cause mortality, more deaths, not less. In addition, data from many different databases indicate negative effectiveness for those uh, mRNA-based products that came out during COVID, beginning from two to seven months after administration, meaning that after two to seven months you are actually more likely to be hospitalized and die from COVID if you got the shots than you were if you chose not to. 
Negative effectiveness in this case, he says, refers to the observation that recipients are actually more likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19 than those who did not receive it at all. We also know that people who received the shot in almost every case have received or have later gone on to have COVID. And in many cases, more than once. So where's the truth? Well, it's interesting. Robert Malone, a world-renowned scientist and researcher who was honored in many ways prior to COVID-19, now has to get his information out on something called Substack. Have you heard of Substack? If you haven't heard of Substack, make yourself familiar. It's one of the few places online that is truly free. You can read whatever the author wants you to read without it being censored, pulled down, deplatformed, uh, shadow banned, any of these things. Robert Malone's Substack, Peter McCullough's Substack, uh, Dr. McCullough's Substack, lots of really great Substacks out there that I look at myself. And I would recommend those. But why is he on Substack? Why isn't the guy who invented this thing being interviewed by New York Times to say how he feels about his colleagues getting credit for making these vaccines possible? Now, they did do a tweak. They did something that Malone did not do. I think they did something that Malone maybe would not have done. If you know what I mean, you know, ethics as being what they are. But I don't know. I don't know Dr. Malone. I respect the man, but I don't know him. And so who knows? But why isn't New York Times interviewing him when they're interviewing Carrico and Weissman? The question would be, they don't want to hear what he has to say. The last thing New York Times wants to hear is that these vaccines didn't work and actually had a negative effect you know, the ones that they claim saved tens of millions of lives. You remember those? Yeah, I remember those too. So very, very interesting stuff. And for what it's worth, Dr. Carrico is the daughter of a butcher. Just thought I'd throw that out there. So let's talk just a little bit about this, though, because, you know, we talked about the negative effect. I'm going to go to openvares.com. And this is a fantastic website. I'm going to click on COVID vaccine data. And we're just going to see, because we know that VAERS reports um, historically are about 1%. 1% of the reports, they, or, or sorry, the reports they receive represent 1% of the reports they could receive if people knew that there was even something called VAERS. Vaccine event, or sorry, vaccine adverse event reporting system. So <clears throat> I will say that I'm confident that it's more than 1% with COVID. There was so much publicity about VAERS during COVID and so many people that were led to VAERS. I've actually led many people myself to VAERS um, to report their injuries that I'm confident that this is not just 1% of the reports, but I would be also equally as confident that it's less than 10%. And interestingly enough, we know that VAERS cases in the case of COVID vaccines, are dropping off, meaning not being, they're being reported, but they're never actually being shown in VAERS. We have evidence of that now too. So someone is cooking the books at VAERS, but for the books that have not been cooked, okay, 
36,324 reported deaths so far and 210,000 hospitalizations so far. At least 240,000 doctor's visits, at least 10,000 allergic reactions, um, 17,000 cases of Bell's palsy, at least 5,000 miscarriages have been reported as attributed to the COVID vaccine. So to me, that counts as more deaths, but it depends on how you look at that. 28,000 issues of myocarditis and pericarditis. I know that's low. I, it's 100% low because that was the biggest safety signal that came out of the COVID vaccines. There were dozens and dozens and dozens of cases of myocarditis during the so-called safety testing. And now they're saying there's only 27,000. That's one of the places where the books seem to be cooked substantially. 67,000 permanently disabled. Well, I work with a group. If you want to hear their stories, it's called React19, react, react19.org. If you want to support great work, go to that website and check it out. It's incredible what they're doing. These are injured people working for injured people. And I interview them on my other podcast, the Dearly Discarded Podcast. That's a group of at least 30,000 Americans that have actually been able to find each other, even though they've been banned and deplatformed all over the place, that are in most cases, permanently disabled from the vaccine. And they're saying there's only 68,000 of those. But think about that. If it's if these numbers are dead on accurate, and I guarantee you they are not, just between deaths and permanent disability, we have well over 100,000. Well over 100,000 cases. If those numbers are 10%, that means we have a million. If those numbers are 1%, 10 million people that have been killed or permanently disabled. We don't know what the numbers are. That's the problem. But I can tell you this, 16,000 cases of shingles, well, guess what is really interesting? I have more people, by far, I bet it's close to 10 times as many people over the last couple of years coming into Vitality asking for help with shingles. Hmm. Interesting. So, those are the actual numbers. They're like I said, actual is the wrong word. They're not the actual numbers, but they are the numbers that uh, we have from VAERS. And uh, yet, you know, interestingly enough, in that New York Times article and every other article I looked at, I looked at almost a dozen articles, headlines, and the first, you know, couple of paragraphs of each one of these just to see if anybody was putting a different spin on it. Oh, my goodness, the spin is smooth as silk between CNN and CNBC and Fox News and all these other places, New York Times. They ignored Robert Malone, and they ignored the fact that these things didn't actually work. They were actually more detrimental than useful, and that these two clowns, who are brilliant but still clowns, should never have been awarded this prize or should they have because there is a bit of a dark history of the nobel prize nobel controversies go all the way back to the prize's founder alfred bernhard or sorry bernhard nobel as the swedish inventor of dynamite and other explosives nobel did nobel sorry did not have the best public image in fact when his brother died a french newspaper this practical newspapers actually probably reported more of the truth i don't know hard to say confused him with alfred and used the headline the merchant of death is dead 
It then stated that Nobel became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of these other guys. The premature obituary was possibly what motivated Nobel to create the namesake prizes in order to enhance his legacy. Because we never think about Nobel as the butcher or the merchant of death or anything like that, right? The Nobel Peace Prize for 2009 went to Barack Obama after only uh, nine months in office for extraordinary efforts to strengthen international diplomacy and cooperation between peoples. Then he went on over the next seven and a half years to order over 10 times the number of drone strikes that his predecessor George Bush Jr. did. Obama began an air campaign targeting Yemen. His first strike was a catastrophe. Commanders thought they were targeting al-Qaeda, but instead hit a tribe with cluster munitions, killing 55 people, 21 were children, 10 of them were under the age of 5, 12 were women, and 5 of them were pregnant. After uh, about a month before he left office, uh, the United States conducted its last drone strike that we know of over Yemen again, killing one al-Qaeda operative. The strike was the last under Obama. And when he left office, as far as we can tell, there were 563 drone strikes that Obama authorized, killing an estimated 3,797 people, including over 800 civilians. As he reportedly told senior aides in 2011, turns out I'm really good at killing people. I didn't know that was going to be a strong suit of mine. The Nobel Peace Prize. Huh? But Obama wasn't the first warmonger to be nominated for the prize. Joseph Stalin was nominated not once, but twice. Now, he never won, poor guy. But clearly, Joseph Stalin in great company, right, with these Nobel laureates. But uh, that's the Peace Prize. What about some of these other prizes that were handed out over the years? The Nobel Prize was awarded to German chemist Fritz Haber, in 1918, Haber was honored with the Chemi Chemistry Prize for his work on the synthesis of ammonia, which was crucial for developing fertilizers for food production. But Haber, known as the father of chemical warfare, <laughs> also developed poisonous gases used in trench warfare in World War I at the Battle of Ypres, if I said that right, Ypres, which he supervised himself. Okay, did you hear that? Trench warfare in World War I, chemical weapons, poisonous gases, which he supervised himself. Not only did he develop them, but he supervised the use of them in World War I. But, hey, still got the Nobel Prize. Um, there, it, it is right now the most contested of the Nobel Prizes ever awarded. Uh, but it hasn't been removed. He's still got it. Of course, he's long gone now. French chemist Victor Grignard, who also developed poisonous gases, also won a Nobel Prize uh, in 1912, but that was before they were used in World War I. Uh, Portuguese neurologist Igas Monitz, who won the 1949 Nobel Prize for medicine, the same one that these guys, uh, Weissman and Carrico, won, for his discovery of a therapeutic treatment for psychosis known as the lobotomy. Today, the brain surgery procedure is known as the lobotomy, or that is known as the lobotomy, is only used in rare circumstances. But back then, back then, it was used a lot. 
and later determined that they were literally ruining people's brains with this thing that he won the prize for. Now, this is what I think. In 1949, they probably believed, maybe, I don't know, that the lobotomy was like this really great advance in medicine. Maybe they really believed that. Years later, it was determined that, no, it was not a great advance in medicine. In fact, it was butchery for sure and became extremely controversial and then basically fell out of fashion very, very quickly. Well, perhaps we'll look back on the Nobel Prizes of 2023 in a similar fashion and say, oh, well, you know, these guys thought they were developing a technology that was going to be amazing, that was going to save tens of millions of people. Maybe that's what they thought. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in their heads. But I know that they know Robert Malone, and I know they know what Robert Malone says about this stuff. And I think they're keeping their heads buried in the sand. And why wouldn't they? The Nobel Prize comes with a million dollars, not just a trophy. All right, so now to wrap up the show, I've got a little more news on Ozempic, Wigovi, the semaglutide shots that are all the rage right now in America, uh, $1,300 a month on average uh, that I talked about last week. We'll have that show listed in the show description if you want to hear more. But I talked about thyroid cancer and thyroid tumors, and I talked about uh, what I consider to be maybe I guess one of the scariest or the scariest aspect of semaglutide last week when I talked about the um, potential suicidal ideations, suicidal thoughts that come with Ozempic for a not small percentage of the people uh, that are using it. But I neglected to talk about some of the other issues that are maybe even more common and in some ways just as scary. The single biggest one, I think, if we just take out mental health and we take out um, gut uh, issues that I'll talk about here in just a minute, we take out thyroid cancer, we take out all these issues uh, that are side effects associated with semaglutide and leave in the most pressing concern that most people using it are using it for, which is weight loss. And we, I would say overall fitness to look and feel better than they do now, fit in the clothes better than they do now, and so on and so forth. If we just look at that aspect of it, this drug is still a big fat loser. A 2021 clinical trial that tested the weight loss effects of Wigovi found that while about 40% or sorry, found out that about 40% of the weight people lost tended to be lean muscle mass. 40%. So you take somebody with an unhealthy BMI, which is up for grabs, whatever that means, but let's just say an unhealthy body weight and an unhealthy fat percentage. We take that person and we give them a worse fat percentage Because keep in mind that if you're going to lose weight, you want to lose fat, not muscle. Everybody knows that. But the more lean muscle you have, the more capable you are of keeping weight off, keeping fat at bay. So if you drop 40% of your body weight that you lose, let's just say you lose 100 pounds, okay? Let's take take a 300-pound person. 300-pound person. 
and let's say they're 35% body fat, which is going to be probably actually a little low for a 300 pound person. Maybe it's even 40%. We'll say 35%. In fact, we'll even round it down to 33% to make the numbers easy. Okay. So a hundred pounds of fat on that individual. Let's say they lose a hundred pounds on semaglutide over, you know, a year or two of use or whatever it is. Maybe they escape the gut paralysis, the suicidal thoughts, all the other issues that come with the drug and they just lose weight and they're thrilled. 60 pounds of that weight would then be fat and 40 pounds would be lean mass. And that means that their lean mass has come way down. Yes, they lost more fat than lean mass, but they have 40 less pounds of muscle, which means they're less fit, probably more flabby than they were before, albeit thinner. They're less capable of keeping the metabolism up and running well because their muscle mass has decreased so much. And then as the weight starts to stack back on, that weight will come back. What if they gain 50 of those pounds back? Well, now we have 50 pounds of fat. They originally lost 60 pounds of fat. They're 250 pounds now, but only 10 pounds less fat on that frame and 40 pounds less muscle on that frame. What if they gain it all back? 300 pounds now, 100 pounds of gained fat when they only lost 60. Now they have a 300-pound person that instead of 200 pounds of lean body mass has 160 pounds of lean body mass and is about 50% fat. It's a real problem if we're just looking at fat loss, weight loss, fitness. It's a real problem. But according to the New York Post, there are other problems. Let's talk about these. The headline, Ozempic users spark spike in ER visits. Shocking new side effects. This was from June of 2023. What are the side effects that they highlight here? I don't have time for all of them here, but blurred vision is a problem. How about pancreatitis and gallbladder issues, including gallstones? Those are not happy side effects at all. And talk about a screw up for your digestive system. That's not good. I would anticipate that the vast majority of people on Ozempic or any of the semaglutide drugs would already have probably a sluggish digestive system, which is part and parcel with excessive weight gain. Also, we have stomach indigestion issues. Shocking. Some Ozempic users, it says, are stinking up a storm, saying smelly side effects include putrid belches and unpredictable explosive diarrhea. That's what everybody wants from a drug like this, right? Who wouldn't want explosive diarrhea? Unpredictable explosive diarrhea. The Post recently reported about 30% of Wegovi users had experienced diarrhea. 30% including some who claim they've woken up in the middle of the night to discover that they've defecated in their sleep. So give me my Wigovi and give me some Depends along with them, please, at least the nighttime ones. Others on the injectable drugs say the burps have started to smell like rotten eggs. And uh, yeah, the list goes on and on. This one isn't so hot either. Malnutrition. While Zimpic and Wigovi help users shed unwanted weight, some say they're unable to maintain a healthy, balanced diet due to nausea or the sensation of feeling full, which, of course, is what Wigovi is supposed to do. 
The New York Times recently reported that people taking Ozempic tend to lose weight because they consume fewer calories, not because the drug itself magically burns fat, which can lead to malnutrition in extreme cases. Yes, exactly. Not because the drug burns fat, but because you eat so much less on the drug. There are also aesthetic side effects called the Ozempic old face. That's a new term. I see it every day in my office, Dr. Paul Jared Frank says. A uh, 50-year-old patient will come in. Suddenly, she's super skinny and needs filler, which she never needed before. I look at her and say, how long have you been on Ozempic? And I'm right 100% of the time. And then my favorite is the stomach paralysis. There are people who have not recovered after over a year off of semaglutide from stomach paralysis where their stomach literally just doesn't move like it once did. It's not able to digest nutrition it or digest food to get the nutrition. This is a potentially life-threatening uh, ailment that I don't know if it's unique to Ozempic. Maybe it happens with other pharmaceuticals, but it's the first time I've heard of it uh, as a drug pharmaceutical side effect and perhaps the scariest one of all, along with, I guess, the suicidal ideations. This stuff just isn't good. It's not good for you. There are ways to lose weight. There are better ways to lose weight. And please, if you've ever thought for a minute that your child who is overweight needs a drug for that problem... Read, read, study, read, look at all the details on semaglutide before you make that decision. All right, that is all I've got for you today. A little bit shorter episode. I've got a great one coming up uh, on methylene blue in the next uh, little bit. We're going to have that actually just in a couple of days for you. We have another great one coming up with Dr. Todd Cameron talking about adrenal fatigue, what it is how to know if you're dealing with it, and what to do about it. I think you're going to love that one if that's been a concern you have. Got some other fantastic episodes coming up on women's hormone balance to go along with some of the other stuff that we've done recently. A lot of good things. I think I have five shows already recorded and four more scheduled. Um, All topics that I'm really excited to share with you. We're going to talk about mitochondrial health. I think that's going to be very cool as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up on Vitality Radio. Please stay tuned. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. Share this show with your friends, your family, your enemies, whoever. Uh, I don't mind who listens, but uh, I sure would love for you to share it. And if you have questions about anything you've heard, call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or hit us at Vitality nutrition.com. If you're interested in that CBD Calm gummy deal for $19.99, you have to call us to get that deal or come into the store at Vitality Nutrition at 107 South, 500 West. I'm Jared St. Clair. Thank you so much for listening to me on Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. 
And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.